Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. I want to bring you into some marriage tension that Nicole and I have been having for for more than a decade. Now, we're going to be fine, but in the spirit of authenticity, I'm going to bring you into just some marriage tension in the Ziegler home. It's about snowblowers. For years, Nicole has wanted me to get a snowblower, which I know sounds very backward. Usually, you know, it's like the husband wanting to get one, but it's, it's my wife that, that wants to get one, mainly because she doesn't want to hear me whine every time it snows, because I whine every single time it snows. Unless it's Christmas or on a, like a snowboarding hill, there just should be no snow. That's just what I believe. I don't want a snowblower, though, because I know what'll happen. I'll spend all this money to get a snowblower that... that day it snows, I'll, I'll strut out to the garage, you know, all excited to, to fire this thing up. I'll spend 20 minutes trying to get the stupid thing to work. It won't work. And then I'll angry shovel 20 minutes behind schedule. That's just, I know that that's what'll happen. And my wife, Nicole, she'll argue with me, you know, oh, we'll, we'll get one that works. Son. Don't, don't be stubborn. We'll, we'll get one that works. Guys snow blow all the time. You're just being dumb. I say, no, 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 no. This is how my life goes. I know my relationship with God. I've accepted that. I'm okay with that. Things like this, just they don't work for me. Like the whole block will be snow blowing. I'll be kicking my snowblower because it doesn't work. Just wait and watch. That's what'll happen. It's been 13 years of this argument. Well, three years ago, Nicole and I moved into a, a new house and we went up to the garage and in the garage sat this new name brand, big snowblower. Nicole's all excited. I said, I don't know why you're excited. I'm not, I'm not using it. She's like, oh gosh, babe. Like you're just, you're just being so difficult. So difficult, just, just use it. First snow comes, you know, I'm, I'm out there. I'm shoveling. Like, I, you know, I, I'm not going to go down this easy. I see Nicole. She's, she, she walks by with a snowblower, skipping behind it as, as I'm shoveling. And she's, she's laughing, rubbing it in my face. She did 75% of the driveway while I shoveled. It's like the, the whole like Genesis text, you know, where God says, I'm going to give you a helper. It's like, there she is, skipping behind a snowblower. Next time it snows, I'm out shoveling again. I will not go down easily. And she comes out in her robe and she begs me, babe, just use the snowblower. So okay, fine. Walk in the garage with her. I said, just watch. It's not going not gonna to work for me. She's like, oh, stop. It started the first time for, for me last week. Just start it up. I pull the cord. The first time pulling the cord, no joke, the cord just snaps. Nicole is on the garage floor, cry laughing. She's like, you're right. This is your life. I threw the cord across the garage, grabbed my trusty shovels, told you so, went out and shoveled. Meanwhile, she calls my, my friend who's a mechanic and he tells her how to start the snowblower without, you know, without the pull cord. 10 minutes later, again, she is skipping down the driveway, snowblowing while, while I shovel. This is why I used to see a therapist, totally why. But I, I, I did cave and it is incredible. I got, got the driveway done in like a fraction of the time from, from shoveling. I go and I do my neighbor's driveways now, uh, not because I'm super nice, just because I can. It's like out of the way, peasants. I got a big old snowblower. It's awesome. But here's the thing. A lot of Christians, a lot of us, are going throughout life with a shovel. And that's you. There's a piece of your life where you have 
a shovel. And you're trying to do it all on your own. Shoveling your way through a relationship, maybe, or shoveling your way through a marriage, shoveling your way through child raising, shoveling your way through finances, shoveling your way through your business. And Jesus is looking at you saying, you don't have to shovel on your own. I gave you someone to help. But if you're like me, you can be stubborn, right? No, I got this. Plus, I don't know about this whole Holy Spirit thing, like what that looks like. It kind of feels messy. There's a lot of people that believe a lot of weird stuff. You know, I, I see those reels on, on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok of people like convulsing on the floor and throwing gold dust on each other and babbling away. I, I don't want to be that. So I'm just going to keep the Holy Spirit in the garage, right? You know, I know he exists, but I'm just not going to go there. Well, buckle up. Today, we're going to go into the garage and we're going to go right there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is page 909 in the Bibles and the chairs, but Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, we have uh, the bridge app with the Bible on there as well, if you'd rather use your phone. And then we also have notes on there too. We have a, a few notes for today, but Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We've been in the series After Effects, just looking at the after effects of, of the cross, what happened right after the cross. And so we started on Easter with the resurrection. Last week, we talked about the road to Emmaus, which is such a great story. And today we're talking about an event called Pentecost, which can be a, a confusing event, and we're gonna dive uh, deep into that. But Acts chapter two. Someone once said that to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit makes theological truths drier than a James Bond martini. I like that a lot. That is so good. We do not want that. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to be with us as we, as we read this word. God, we do, we do ask for that. We ask for the Holy Spirit to illuminate this text for us because we need that. And there's probably some in here who don't even know what that necessarily looks like. The Holy Spirit illuminating a text to us. And Father, I ask that we, we see what that looks like today. You will speak to us. We ask for your conviction. May we not fight off conviction through excuses, but may we be open to what you have. May we enter your word, enter into this time humbly, ready to receive what dad has for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in on Acts chapter two, we find ourselves on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem specifically an area on the Temple Mount called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. It's a long pavilion on the side of the temple courts. It's a shelter for visitors who would come to worship on the Temple Mount. And today, it is packed. Just 10 days ago, on the hill overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus ascended into heaven. And for the last 10 days, his followers have been wondering what's next. See, for the past three years, they've been following Jesus around. Now what? He's gone. So where do we go? What do we do? What's our next move here? And since Jesus left, the minutes have felt like hours, and the hours have felt like days, and the days have felt like weeks. And so there they wait in Solomon's colonnade for what? For how long? Nobody really knows. But around the city, shops and plazas prepare for a big festival in Jerusalem. Streets begin to come to life. It's the third largest Jewish festival that is taking place in Jerusalem, a celebration of when God gave Moses the law. And as everyone prepares to celebrate God giving the law, God is about to give someone far greater. See, not a few feet away from Solomon's colonnade sits the holy place. This is where 
the, the God exclusively dwelt. But little do people know, not since the temple curtain ripped seven weeks ago. See, God no longer indwells just this room. He's about to indwell his people. As the city fills with people, people are about to be filled with God. And this is where Luke writes this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, I just want to stop here. I want to talk about what Pentecost is because the idea of Pentecost, the word Pentecost can be very confusing. Pentecost was a Jewish festival, but then like today you might have, some, I have some friends, but you might have some friends or maybe you identify as a Pentecostal. Some people call themselves, well, I'm Pentecostal. Uh, so what's going on here? What's, what's Pentecost? Well, let's look at the word Pentecost and this will help. Penta, Penta means, it stands for number. And I just want you to see if you can guess. Can you guess which number that is? Penta. Penta. So it would be five, because you have Pentateuch, which would be the first five books of the Bible. But in this case, Pentecost, Penta would mean 50. So 50. Um, and if you got that right, extra credit for you. I, I'm just giving that out, because I know some of us in here really need extra credit when it, when it comes to church. Um, cost, cost means days. So 50 days. That's what Pentecost means. 50 days. Okay, 50 days of, so on the day of 50 days, or 50 days of what? Well, 50 days since Passover. It was this festival in Jerusalem called the Festival of Weeks. Seven weeks since Passover. And people would gather together in Jerusalem and they would remember when, when God gave Moses the law. Which kind of feels like a weird celebration, doesn't it? Like, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never celebrated someone giving me a list of rules. Like, you're junior, here's a... Here's a handbook of, you know, here's our staff handbooks. Like, oh, whoa, I'm going to remember this day forever. You know, the day I got rules. This wasn't about rules, so to speak. The law was more than a set of rules. It was what brought the Jewish people together. It was their culture. They're celebrating when God cared enough to guide them and really give them their culture. And now on Pentecost, God is about to guide them even more. So that's the original word, Pentecost. 50 days from Passover when God gave Moses the law. Now today, as I said, there's denominations like Pentecost Church. My, my wife actually became a believer through a Pentecostal church. I have good friends who consider themselves Pentecostal. That's separate from what we're talking about. And to go down that rabbit trail would be good, but it's just not a conversation for today. If you're intrigued by that whole idea of like, what, what is Pentecostalism and all of that, there's a really good book that helped me called Strange Fire. It uh, gives a background to the Pentecostal movement, the history of it, and, and what they believe. Good people. We have Pentecostal people in our church. Good people. It's not necessarily me, but it is, is, it's good people. Getting back to the original Pentecost, though, it's all about to go down. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, we don't necessarily know which one place this is, but they, meaning followers of Jesus, were all gathered together in one place. The one place I believe this is, it just makes sense to me, is Solomon's porch. Makes the most sense. It's the pavilion, as I said, on, on the Temple Mount. People would gather there. Out-of-town guests would stay the night there. It's a large public pavilion. Many of Jesus' followers are from Galilee, which would be up in the north. So they're from out of town. So it just makes sense that this is where, this is where they would be in Solomon's colonnade. Now, something to point out in verse 1. If you have your Bibles in front of you, just look at verse 1. Something to point out here in verse 1, and this is important, and that is followers were waiting for the Holy Spirit, not manufacturing him. If you look at the text, they weren't even searching. Followers of Jesus were waiting. And here's why this is worth mentioning. We live in a, a day and age where there can be what I would call some Holy Spirit abuse in some circles. Trying to manufacture 
this event, or at least manufacture high emotions and, and call it the Holy Spirit. In fact, maybe you've seen this on TV, right? You turn on the TV and there's like the, the fancy pants televangelists, not all of them, but, but a lot of them, they're doing like these weird things that just kind of coax people into feeling the Holy Spirit, manufacturing an experience, you know, put your, put your hand on the TV and I, I will heal you, or you'll be watching and people are falling over, they call that slang in the Spirit, or they have like a, the spirit shivers where people just kind of shake violently or they're rolling in the aisles in, in the church. They call it holy rolling. Or people in the church are laughing. Everyone's laughing. They call that holy laughter. None of that is biblical, by the way. All of that is weird. But they'll say, they'll say, well, that's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit would say, please don't put my name on that. That's taking God's name in vain. My, my wife uh, she became a believer in, in high school and her church, which I'm very thankful for, they, they introduced her to, to Jesus. They encouraged her to go to this school in Texas that leaned more toward uh, chasing the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of manufacturing the experiences. And uh, one of her biggest turnoffs was she was praying, I think, I believe in a class, and they were teaching her how to, how to speak in tongues, which is a very weird thing to me because it's never taught in scripture. It's a miracle. It's not something that you teach. But professors, you know, are trying to do these different healings that were just kind of a little out of place. And in one of her classes, her professor had the, everybody raise their hands, which scripture teaches us to do, right? To, to raise our hands in prayer. As we sing, we, we raise our hands to, to God. And the professor had them do it for a very long time. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. And after a while, he goes, can you feel it? They feel what? The, the tingling. Like, in, in, my, in my fingers? Yeah, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, 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 that's blood leaving your fingers from having your hands raised for so long. Also, you don't conjure up the Holy Spirit. He's not a Pokemon. But, but a lot of people, they get really, really sucked into this, right? It's exciting. It's, it's mysterious. It's, it's kind of sexy and, and mysterious. And, and not all, but a lot of that I would consider abuse. That's not what's happening in this text. This is believers doing what believers should do waiting on the Holy Spirit. In fact, something that our, our elders hold to, which I love, is that the bridge is like a sailboat. In fact, many early churches, after Jesus and churches would get together, they would use sailboats as their logo for, for a church. Not a cross, but a sailboat. The idea of it is the bridge is like a sailboat. We hoist our sails, waiting for the wind to blow, and we let the Spirit lead if the Spirit is leading in a certain direction. We hoist our sails and we wait. We don't manufacture, we don't force, we don't chase the Holy Spirit. We wait on the Holy Spirit because that's biblical. So we'll hoist our sails for this ministry over here, maybe this venture over here. We'll hoist our sails over there and we wait. And if there's energy or if there's momentum, we'll ride that wave. We'll be faithful to, his, his, you know, to following the Holy Spirit. But our job isn't to manufacture or coax the wind. We hoist our sails and we wait. And sometimes the wind is very subtle, and that's okay. We walk by faith. Sometimes it's a powerful wind, and you know, the Holy Spirit is moving heavily, and that's really exciting and a lot of fun. But either way, it doesn't dampen our passion because we don't live by experience and by emotions. We don't chase the feels. Our faith doesn't ebb and flow based on how we feel or, the, or how we experience the Spirit. The Christian life, and you probably can attest to this, this, the Christian life is lived in the desert often, isn't it? It's lived in the desert. There's very few, if any, burning bushes. But we walk in obedience, not chasing fields. 
That's why it's very important to point out here, the followers are waiting. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're not giving healing lessons or rolling on the floor or teaching tongues. They're simply, faithfully waiting for the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, Luke continues. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire place where they were sitting. Man, I wish I could have been there. You ever been in like a sudden storm? This past week, Nicole and the girls and I, we were visiting some friends in Florida, and one of the things I love about Florida is it'll have these like bursts of, of sudden storms. It's like my favorite. It's just, it's awesome. And so I, I, we were, I was with the family and just kind of uh, hanging out. And when a, when a sudden storm just like, just like swept right in, kids, you know, chasing towels and sand is blowing and girls are screaming. It was just, it was awesome. That's just kind of how I picture verse two right here. Like there they are, they're in Solomon's colonnade or gathered in Solomon's porch waiting for something. They don't really know what, but they're waiting. And you probably know what that's like, right? You believe that God has something for you coming up. You're not quite sure what it is. So you're just kind of waiting for him, but you're not quite sure necessarily what you're waiting for or where he's taking you. That's these Christians. They're hanging out. They're waiting. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're serving. And they're getting a little tired of staying there. The block flooring is a little hard on their back. The, the spring mountain air makes for chilly nights there. It's a public pavilion, so there's just not much privacy. It's not a fun place to wait for a long time, but there they've been for 10 days. It feels like your typical day, though, as they sit here. They watch the priests in the temple, temple courtyard go about their business, and families coming into the temple mount to give and to sacrifice and all around them, everybody is anticipating this festival that's about to take place around here when suddenly out of nowhere, a distant roar becomes audible and the roar grows louder and it grows louder. A few kids grip their parents' hands. A few men gather their belongings under the roof. It's just a storm. It doesn't really, the sky doesn't show it. And the roar grows even louder to the point where the great temple plaza stops their business. And people's curiosity gets the best of them as they make their way over to Solomon's porch to investigate this, this supernatural phenomenon, what's going on. And as they approach the porch, they notice a bunch of Jesus followers who seem to be just as confused as they are about all of this. What is this? It's the introduction of the Holy Spirit. The roar is a sign. God has come. The one whom Jesus promised, enter Holy Spirit. And divided tongues, verse 3, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now, this always kind of confused me as a kid. Because I remember, like, my, my Sunday school teacher uh, telling this story. It's a really cool story, right? A lot of fun, you know, like fire above people's heads. Like, what's up with the licks of fire above their heads? It is a cool story in Scripture. In fact, artists love this, this picture. There's a lot of paintings. Here's an ancient mosaic of, of this event or this scene uh, it's an intriguing image, right? People with fire above their head. And most readers have just kind of, including me, have, have concluded before, like, oh, well, you know, it's just like a really cool sign. No fire above their head. It's not necessarily anything other than just a sign. Oh, there's so much more to what's going on here, and it's beautiful. But to get it, we have to dig just a little bit, a little bit deeper. All around Jerusalem, people are preparing for a festival called you can shout it out. What is it? Pentecost or the festival of, of weeks, but, but Pentecost. They are celebrating when God gave Moses the law and it established their culture. The story is actually a quite beautiful story. And the story goes like this. 
The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They've, they've left Egypt. They were slaves. They're wandering around the wilderness. The promised land is not theirs yet. And so they're wandering around in the wilderness trying to figure out where God wants them to go. Which again, maybe you know what that's like, right? Trying to figure out God's, God's direction here. They find themselves camped out on the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And historians and archaeologists debate over where this mountain is exactly. We don't really quite know for sure. Personally, though, I believe it's in Saudi Arabia. And I'll tell you why. As Israel is camped out at the base of the mountain, Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to meet with God. When this happens, fire consumes the top of the mountain for days. Moses is in the fire to the point where everybody thinks he's dead. He's got it burned up at this point. He's been in the fire for days. But Moses is in the fire meeting with God for days. Imagine that. Imagine being in the Israel camp, sitting at the base of the mountain, on top of the mountain, is engulfed in flames, just this roaring fire above you. Recent archaeologists have investigated a mountain in Saudi Arabia where the top of the mountain is actually charred. It's blackened and charred. They're trying to figure out what, how is it charred like there's really no explanation. They've also found etchings at the base of the mountain showing that a community was camped out there for a time. To add to that, there's an extremely curious rock on this mountain that's split in half. And underneath the rock is actually very smooth as if water had rushed over it. Now, we know from Scripture that a Moses split a rock and water gushed out of the rock to provide water for the Israelites. And it could have been here. We, we don't necessarily know, but it could have been in this very area. And it just kind of makes sense, the charred mountains and the, the etchings. It's just, it's just kind of a, a fun thought. But this is the story. This is the story that Jerusalem is celebrating. Man, when fire was on the mountain, God's presence, and he gave us our culture. He gave it to Moses. Well, after a few days of the fire consuming the top of the mountain, Moses comes down um, out of the fire with the laws, and so the Israelites, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, fire represented God's presence. So you take that whole idea and you connect it to this verse right here, to this text. It is quite beautiful. Fire isn't falling on the mountain anymore. Fire is on the people. God isn't on the mountain. He's closer. God is in the people. Like what an image that is. This is, a, this is exactly why John the Baptist before when he said, I am baptizing you with water, but there is one, Jesus, who is coming, who will baptize you with fire. I mean, he's gonna baptize you with God. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit, God in you, and here he is, fire on the people. See, there's this beautiful progression in scripture. Ever since the fall, God has been moving closer to his people. Once he was on the mountain, then he dwelled in the tabernacle or in the temple. Then he came in flesh among us, but we killed him. And now he's in us. He just, God kept on coming closer and closer toward us until he's in us. That's what's playing out right here. So the people outside are celebrating, ah, fire on the mountain. But over here, fire is in the people. God is in the people. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I, lo I, love, I love scripture. Verse four, we continue on. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So miraculously speaking other languages. Now, when we read scripture like this, we have to remember that when God does something, this is very important, when God does something, there is always a point to it. This is why I don't understand, you know, you got to, and I'm not, I don't want to 
I don't want to throw shade at them, but you go to some churches or, you know, you scroll social media, you've seen it where, you know, these churches have people convulsing and, you know, rolling on the floor. There's no point to that. that that's my struggle with that. There's no point to that. There's always a point when God does something, there's always a point to it. And there's a point right here. See, in this very moment, Jerusalem is filling with visitors from all around the known world. Many different languages are colliding in Jerusalem. In fact, if you look at verse 5, it says every nation, every nation is in the city. So this is a perfect moment to get the good news of what happened with Jesus into the other languages. This is what God is doing. He's showing that God indwells people and he's communicating it in their language. So this is like not wild chaos. This is not babbling that nobody can understand. It's extremely intentional organization. Like verse six, it says, at this sound, the multitude came together. So the Christians came together, the early Christians came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse seven, and they were all astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I love that. So the whole temple plaza is, is congregating at the porch, figuring out, okay, there's this big roar. Now there's fire over people's heads. And now they're speaking in these different languages. So these people are amazed. And they're saying, are not all these Galileans? We're, we're, we're listening to backwoods, northern Israel folk. They have a reputation for being uneducated. There's no big cities up in northern Israel. They're all fishermen and, and farmers. They they say y'all a lot. How are they speaking Greek right now? How are they speaking Egyptian? How are they speaking all these different languages? And they're not faking it because if you look at verse 8, everybody's verifying it. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So everyone in the crowd is verifying each language that is spoken. The Egyptians are saying, that's Egyptian. The Greeks are saying, that's Greek. The Germanic people are saying, Schlechtenstein. I, I don't know. I don't even know if they're dramatic people. I have no idea. But, but it's all being verified. All the different languages are being verified in the crowd. And it's a very huge truth that, that we have here. Miracles in Scripture are obvious and verifiable. It's not in your notes, but it is, it is worth at least holding on to mentally or writing down. Biblical miracles, scriptural miracles are always obvious and verifiable. Obvious and verifiable. And this is important to remember. See, today there are a lot of claims to miracles. A lot of claims to like prophecies. And some of them might be legit. In fact, I, last summer I was speaking at a conference in, in Norway and I went out on a, a boat. There's like a, a wealthier guy in the church that we were at and he took us out on his boat on the North Sea and, and like halfway into the trip, it kind of got weird he like gathered everybody. He's like, I want to have like this word of prophecy over Junior. And so I was just kind of standing, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like turn him down, like whatever. And he gave me like this word of prophecy, but his Norwegian was so thick, his Norwegian accent, nobody knew at all what he was saying. So the rest of the day, we're just kind of joking around like, it might be totally true. We just have no idea what it, what it was. But like people, we get really sucked into like miracles and, and prophecy. Like if, if we experience a miracle, there is a kind of the element of like, oh, I kind of feel special, right? I got to experience a miracle. I, you know, I got to experience something very rare. But like, let's just shoot straight for a second. A lot of miracles have been dispelled. In fact, there's been, I don't know if you ever like watched, I think 2020 did a special on Benny Hinn, you know, Benny Hinn, the, the, the older guy who does like all the, the miracles on, on TV. And so 2020 did like an investigation. They found out like just a lot of the, the faking that was going on um, with Benny Hinn. I'm not like 
putting, I'm not attacking Benny Hinn, it's just what, what 2020 came out with. Um, I have friends who have been healed by a healer, but they say, no, I'm still sick, so that, that wasn't a healing. But I also know that healings can, can happen. Like, um, I have family, in fact, my, my daughter is one of them, who was prayed over by the elders, and, and healing happened. Doctors verified that the ailment was healed. And so this is our framework when we're dealing with lots of miracles or prophecies. It is obvious and it is verifiable because that's how it was in Scripture. God does the supernatural. He can't be put into a box. But he also gives us a framework that we can operate with so that we don't get too nutty. Obvious and verifiable. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit does not do anything outside of this. There's been times where something happened and I was like, oh, that's cool. That might be the Holy Spirit. That was really cool. Like, for example, a few years ago, I was in a meeting uh, in the office, and the meeting was about, we, had to, we were needing to look for a, a worship leader, and it was thrown out, like, hey, we could maybe, maybe we could like, hire somebody to, to you know, pay like a company to, to help us find somebody. And I pushed back at first, like, why don't we sit on that? Can we decide that maybe in a few days? Let's just pray about it. Minutes after that meeting, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine saying, hey, I got this friend named Hayden. He's a worship guy. He's looking. Do you have anything? It's like, no way. And he's a perfect fit for our church community. I think the Holy Spirit was part of, of that arrangement. But I'm not going to get up in front of our church and make like a big claim, right? Hey, church, the Holy Spirit brought us Hayden. I'm not going to say that. First off, I don't know for sure. Second off, kind of weird. And third, what if Hayden sucks? right? Now he doesn't. I love Hayden, but we're not going to do that. We have to be very careful when we attach God's name to something. Now, again, we're not, I'm not saying that God doesn't operate outside that. I'm just saying our framework, when we attach the Holy Spirit to something, it does have to be obvious and verifiable. Our claims for the Holy Spirit activity, especially miracles, they must be grounded in the biblical framework that we're given. That's obvious. That's verifiable. Now, anything outside of that we have to be very careful with. See, the Holy Spirit isn't like art. My oldest daughter, she, she loves art. Like, she loves making art. She loves looking at art. She loves going to art museums, which I'm great with. I actually love a lot of art museums, like creativity. Uh, I enjoy creativity. There's one type of art that I just don't, don't get, though. That's modern art. I just, I do not understand modern art. It's like, I remember one time I took her to, like, this exhibit that she wanted to go to. So we're looking at this. And it's like, babe, I don't know what the heck this is. You know, so I read like the little sign in, in, in the exhibit. The exhibit, by the way, is like three white walls, rocks in one corner, rocks not in the other corner. It's like, well, what is this? So I, like, I read the plaque on, on right next to the exhibit, and it says rocks in one corner, rocks in not in the other. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> what does it mean? But, but here's the thing is, is somebody can say, well, that's my expression. It's like, okay, well, then that's art, right? By definition, like I can't say that's not art because that's their expression, so I guess that's art. People, people can't do that with the Holy Spirit, though sometimes we, we try, and I, I think I've been guilty of it before. You know, as long as we say, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit told me, you know, this is what the Spirit is doing in me, it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess you played the Holy Spirit card, so I can't say, I can't push back on that. God doesn't want that. So he gives us, as Christians, he gives us this framework. Hey, here's a miracle. Here's the Holy Spirit leading you. It is obvious it is verifiable. And that is not putting God in a box. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. The Holy Spirit is still very active. The wind is still blowing. He is alive. He is real. And he is our helper. While we try to shovel our way through our marriage or shovel our way through a career, shovel our way through relationships, 
that same power here in Acts chapter 2 is available to you. I just had a conversation with a guy last week. He, he struggling struggling with his marriage and he made the comment he said there's just it is impossible there is no way this marriage is going to work out so do you realize what you the power that you have if you call yourself a Jesus follower you have God in you do not say that marriage is unsalvageable God wants to be part of your home he wants to fill your career he wants to better your marriage he wants to unite your relationships nothing is too big for God but let's be honest, like your idiot pastor, how many of us are just trusting on the shovel and that's it? Meanwhile, God is saying, I got so much more for you, man. A few lessons from Pentecost. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person to follow, not a, not a power to harness. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. Now, I've been guilty of it, but I've, I've heard a lot of, of people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it pronoun. It's not his preferred pronoun. Maybe that's a bad joke to say today. But it's not his preferred pronoun because he's a person. He's not an it. He's not this impersonal, ominous power, you know, the wildness of God, like a code that we need to crack, you know, this, this mystical power that we could just kind of learn to harness. We too can heal at will, you know, almost like Star Wars, like use the force. No, the Holy Spirit is a person to follow. In fact, look what Jesus said about him. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. What? Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him. Not I will send it. He says, I will send him to you. But you just think about what this verse means here. You think This is a wild verse. Like if we were to have the option of having Jesus in flesh in this room or the Holy Spirit in us, a lot of us would be like, I want to see Jesus. I want to ask Jesus questions. Get Junior off the stage. Let's have Jesus teach. And I'm with you on that one. Let's hear, let's hear Jesus teach. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. It is to your advantage that you don't have me in the flesh here because you have God in you. That's hard to believe. One of the things that I, I, I love thinking about, like um, I love just even today, it was on my way to a funeral, just thinking about eternity and, and the next life and Part of me, I can't wait to hang out. There's a few guys that I just cannot wait to hang out with in the next life. One of them is Moses. I, I just love, I love Moses. I, I love his story. I kind of identify with, with, with just a little bit of, of who he is. And uh, Moses, you know, just to sit down with Moses in the next life. I would love to do that. Like, yo, Moses, what was it like to have God speak to you from the bush? What was it like to have God split the Red Sea before you, Moses? Moses, what was it like to go into the fire? and have God give you the laws. Or maybe David. David, what was it like to take down Goliath? The God working through you. I think if they were to respond, they would say something like, yeah, it was awesome. But Junior, what was it like to have God in you? We didn't have that. That's even better. See, some of us are trying to shovel our way through marriage. You're trying hard. It's all on your own. If you be honest with yourself, it's just not working. Shoveling your way through your career, shoveling your way through finances, shoveling your way through parenting, shoveling your way through relationships. You're trying. You want to do what's right. You have the right intentions, but you're killing yourself. And the fact of the matter is, is you're constantly settling for less. Meanwhile, Jesus is looking at you saying, this would be a heck of a lot easier for you. 
if you would just lean on and follow the person that I sent you. God is in you. Why are you keeping him in the garage? You're still looking up to heaven like fire's on the mountain. The fire is in you now. Follow his lead. Learn his conviction. Lean into his conviction. Learn his nudging. Stop trying to do this all on your own. Number two, lessons for Pentecost. The second lesson, final lesson, and this is so big. The Holy Spirit's main focus is maturing, not miracles. The Holy Spirit's main focus is maturing, not miracles. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't do miracles because he does. And I believe I've experienced them. He is powerful. He is God. But his main focus, his obsession, is maturing you, not dazzling with miracles. Now, you might say, well, come on, Junior. The Bible says, you know, in, in, in Acts 1.8, last verse, or not last verse, but yeah, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will have power. Absolutely. But he's not necessarily talking about miracle, big miracle power. What he's talking about is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Love, joy, self-control, peace, patience, generosity, faithfulness, kindness, goodness. This, when we exhibit this in our lives, this is a powerful life. This right here is your power. The Holy Spirit didn't come into us so that we could walk around acting like Dumbledore, just kind of healing people at will, throwing around miracles. The Holy Spirit is in us to grow these in our lives, to mature us. This is his obsession, maturing you, sanctification. Now I know it's not as sexy as maybe walking around and healing people at will or getting these emotional highs, but it is a life of divine love, a life of divine peace, a life of divine generosity that is powerful. The Holy Spirit is leading us toward these, convicting you of these, and equipping you with these. This is our power. So one of the main questions that we get as a church, we get those emails and phone calls, social media, and, and that is, is the bridge a Holy Spirit-filled church? And I always ask them what they mean by that, but I, I, I know what they mean usually. And that is, do we speak in tongues? Do we tell prophecies? Do we you know, heal people? And the way we respond to that is we're not aiming to be a spirit-filled church by that definition. We're aiming to be a spirit-filled church by this definition. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your marriage with. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your family with. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your business with. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your friendships with. And there is great power in that. See, to boil all this down, there is something that God is bringing you to. I promise you that. And maybe you have to think on that for a little while, but I promise you there is something that God is bringing you to. And usually it's something that is just overwhelming. Often it's a headache. It's painful. It might be salvaging your marriage. It might be finding financial peace. It might be loving a wayward child. It might be working through a health issue. It might be leading your family. 
It might be mentoring someone. It might be sacrificing something. It might be waiting for something. But I guarantee you there is something, because this is just what God does. He's bringing you to something. And if you're anything like me, it's these times when God brings you to something that you grab a shovel. Okay, I'm going to do this on my own. Grip my teeth and power through this obstacle. I'm going to fix my career on my own. I'm going to fix my marriage the best way I know how. I'm going to lead my family the best way we can. And the reality is the more we shovel, the more we realize I'm just somehow settling for less here. And we end up living this life of excuses. Some of us are exhausted and feel like I've done very little when it comes to what God has brought me to. It's snowing harder than I can shovel. It makes sense because you're trying to shovel. Over 100 years ago, Samuel Chadwick wrote this. He said, Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. And the first time I read that, I disagreed with it. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus broke a promise. Without the Holy Spirit, God's not in us. This is just true. A good marriage is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. A healthy family is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. A fulfilling career is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. But yet we just spend a life shoveling. And Jesus is going, man, I said fire. Why are you looking up? Fire's out on the mountain. God came to you. He's in you. What are you doing? All this on your own, like you got this. You don't got this. God wants to invade you. Every aspect of your life, not just for some emotional high. He wants to light a fire in your belly for that which matters. And that's what this world needs. In today's world, you cannot afford not to follow the Holy Spirit. You're not going to shovel your way through this world. You're not going to shovel your way through the chaos and the confusion of this world. We need the Holy Spirit constantly. It's exactly why Zechariah wrote this. Not by might, not by the shovel, nor by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The fire left the mountain. The fire's in you. Is that making a difference in your life? Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.